Good morning, everyone. Chapter 7 of Luke today. When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And quite a discourse that was known as the Sermon on the Mount that we just saw in Luke chapter 6, some really profound teaching by Jesus and really challenges us to be the people of God and learn how we can look and live more like him. But he went to Capernaum now after that, and a centurion's slave who was highly regarded by him, his his master, his the centurion, the slave was sick and about to die. And when he had heard about Jesus, the centurion that is, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy of the, for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built our synagogue. So the centurion apparently has been a Jewish follower, or, or at least just gave great favor to the Jewish people, helped build a local synagogue in Capernaum for the Jewish people. Now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. What a statement of faith there. And he says, for I am also a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. That is a remarkable story that the man said Jesus didn't even have to come, but just to desire it or pray for it, and it would happen. And gosh, uh, that's I just can't even imagine that. Like if this was someone in your family and Jesus was on the way, you would think you would um, you'd want him to keep on coming. Um, but yet this is a story to represent faith and show that, you know, Jesus, I guess that's how he heals us now, doesn't he? He doesn't have to come and be with us physically. He can just do it spiritually and uh, praise God for this story of faith. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. And, you know, the crowds are really now around Jesus a lot. He has done so much to reveal himself um, not that they fully understand who he is, but they do understand he has power. Now, verse 12, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he came and he touched the coffin. This guy's already in a coffin, and the bears came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. He really did. I don't know if they fully understood that. Maybe they just thought through the prophet God visited, but God really did visit. He is Emmanuel. He was God with them, and now he's God with us through spirit. Hallelujah. This report concerning him went all over Judea and all the surrounding district. It It is really hard to comprehend the fame of Jesus in his day. And yet, you know, because of his claims to be God, they they put him on a cross. But wouldn't it be amazing to see the hustle and bustle of the crowd and the people um, coming around Jesus, and rightfully so, for all that he's done. The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Now, this is John the Baptist, likely in prison uh, at this point. I think we hear of that in Matthew's version of this section of Scripture, uh, that John's in prison and he sends some people because in prison, John's like, I just want to make sure Jesus is the one. He already knew, but being locked up, apparently that gave him some doubts, and he sent John the Baptist to check on Jesus. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one? And the version I'm reading here has that capitalized, expected one, both capitalized, so one of God, or do we look for someone else? When they came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to, to you to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured. So apparently right when they were there, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. I think Jesus wanted John the Baptist to have assuredness, and he's gonna, John's going to get uh, a testimony of the power of Jesus here because his guys are going to see these miracles. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. People saw this stuff. Jesus was a miracle worker. And then he begins to quote the Old Testament. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up from the dead, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And Jesus, in one of those statements, is quoting Isaiah 61.1, where he has anointed me to proclaim the gospel to the poor. And you might recall that Jesus said that that, prof- that prophecy in Isaiah was about himself back in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was in the synagogue. And he read that out loud and said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And now, you know, he's, he's making John be aware that he is the one prophesied in Isaiah who was to come. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John the Baptist, that is. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Uh, regarding John the Baptist, a reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. Jesus is affirming that John the Baptist was a prophet. and He did not wear luxurious clothes. Uh, I say to you, Jesus said, and one who is more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it was written, and now he's quoting the Old Testament, again from Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare 
your way before you. And, you know, God had prepared ahead of time that he was going to have someone come prepare the way for Jesus. It was written about in the Old Testament, and John the Baptist was that person. And he was asking people to repent and baptizing them and preparing them for the coming of Jesus and Jesus's message. So Jesus goes on to say, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, uh, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Isn't that interesting? He who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. It may be that, you know, because John's going to lose his life before the fullness of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that after the death and resurrection of Jesus in the church age, and now we have the spirit living inside of us, that that's like a new dispensation. It's a new season. And John didn't quite live until that season of history. And uh, he's saying, although John was special because God prophesied that he would come to prepare the way, uh, and John John did not get to see uh, Jesus die and rise again. And uh, so that may be what, John, what Jesus is indicating there. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice having been baptized with the baptism of John. Basically, because Jesus was affirming John the Baptist, they were he was legitimizing John the Baptist's ministry, and they're seeing that. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. They didn't really like John the Baptist's ministry, and you know they didn't follow it. And so, you know, again, Jesus is making a distinction. You know, he preaches the gospel to the poor. The Pharisees, uh, you know, a lot of times rejected Jesus's message. And he said, hey, I came to the those who are sick or who are see that they have a need. But you who think yourself righteous, they weren't as interested in Jesus's ministry. Verse 31, to what then shall I compare the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he is a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Basically, people, you know, rejected Jesus, they rejected John the Baptist, but yet Jesus is saying that in the end, when you see the children of God, when you see the church, when you see people come to Jesus, you're going to see that wisdom has been vindicated by what's happened as a result of our ministries. Um, and they're wrong to be to be rejecting him. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. That's interesting. After all the debate and division really between Jesus and the Pharisees. They're asking him to come dine. And, and he, he went, he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing, this is a different time. You know, this happened before Jesus was anointed for his burial. Uh, you can read about that, I believe, in the Gospel of John, and it happened right before then. 
But standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. This woman is paying just amazing devotion to Jesus. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Of course, they always look down on sinners. Instead of instead of uh, wanting to win people or have compassion towards people, they just rejected people all the time, is what the Pharisees did. And, and Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, and this is in front of the Pharisees now, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, isn't that a really profound statement? You know that one of the really prerequisites, I wouldn't say it has to be this way, but it's mostly this way, is that it's hard to come to Jesus if you don't know you have a need. And unfortunately, there's so many people in the world that think they're you know good people, whereas the Bible says, for there's no one good, not even one. And sometimes because we compare ourselves with maybe the worst of the world or or we just have this general perception that we're good, that we don't see that we have a need for the forgiveness of sins. And and just one sin can separate us from God. And all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we need a sacrifice. And we can no longer bring a sacrifice to God. The only sacrifice that will work is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And we need to embrace Him and have faith in His death and His resurrection for our sin. And then as a result, we are grateful to him. We're grateful for forgiveness. We're grateful for eternal life. But if we don't see that we have a need for forgiveness, we may never turn to the Savior. We may never turn to Jesus. And that's a great tragedy. So one of the greatest things that we can see is that we have a need and that Jesus came to forgive us in our need. And then it makes us more devoted to him and that's what he's saying. This woman's been is, is is being forgiven much, and she's devoted to me. Then he said to her, verse forty-eight: "Your sins have been forgiven." Which, again, which would be this has happened already in the Gospel of Luke, but that would be a very bold statement because they would, if they don't see Jesus as God, they're going to be like, "He can't do what he's doing right now," uh, but yet he is God, and he can forgive. So. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, 
Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And, and that's a great statement because ultimately that is what saves us. As we have faith in the Messiah, faith in Jesus, faith in the one who died to take our sin. And as a result, we're saved and we can go in peace. And Lord, we're just grateful to you. We're grateful to you that through you, through your great sacrifice and through faith in what you've done, that we can have forgiveness and ultimately eternal life. Thank you for being a miracle worker and one of the greatest of those, God is you dying and rising to forgive us. Hallelujah. We believe in you.